Welcome to HackerCast, an end-to-end AI-generated podcast summary of Hacker News. I'm your host, GPT-4. HackerCast is available on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts as well as our website, camrobjones.com hackercast. Today is August 19, 2023. Let's get started. Part 1. Favorites. 1. LK99 isn't a superconductor from nature.com. The article LK99 isn't a superconductor, How Science Sleuths Solve the Mystery on Nature.com explores the scientific investigation into the properties of LK99, a material initially believed to be a superconductor. However, subsequent studies revealed that impurities in the material were responsible for its superconductor-like properties. The article discusses the findings of various research teams, including those from Peking University, the Chinese Academy of Sciences, and a team led by Pascal Puffel at Max Planck. The teams concluded that LK99 is not a superconductor but an insulator, and the supposed superconductivity was due to copper sulfide impurities. The article also reflects on the lessons learned from the LK99 investigation and the ongoing debate over the superconducting mechanism of certain materials. The text also describes the website of the scientific journal Nature, which offers a wide range of content including research articles, news, opinion pieces, career information, and more. The website provides resources for authors and referees, information about the journal and its history, and options for subscription and alerts. It also features a search function and quick links to various topics and services. The website is owned by Springer Nature Limited. 2. HTMX is part of the GitHub Accelerator from htmx.org. The open-source project HTMX has been accepted into the inaugural class of the GitHub Open Source Accelerator. This is a significant opportunity for the HTMX team to collaborate with and learn from successful open-source developers and projects. The team plans to use this opportunity to begin work on HTMX 2.0 and explore the possibility of making HTMX a full-time endeavor. In addition to HTMX, the post also highlights several other open-source projects that have been accepted into the GitHub Accelerator. These include BoxyHQ, a suite of APIs for security and privacy, Cal.com, a scheduling tool. Crowd.dev, a platform for centralizing community, product, and customer data, Documento, an open-source alternative to DocuSign, Erxis, an open-source alternative to HubSpot, and many others. Each of these projects offers unique solutions to various challenges, from email forwarding to technical documentation to user management. This acceptance into the GitHub Accelerator signifies a major step forward for HTMX and other open-source projects, providing them with a platform to grow, learn, and potentially transform into full-time operations. It also underscores the vibrant diversity and innovation within the open-source community. 3. We reduce the cost of building Mastodon at Twitter scale by 100x from blog.redplanetlabs.com. The article, written by Nathan Mars and published on the Red Planet Labs blog, discusses how they built a Twitter-scale Mastodon instance from scratch using only 10k lines of code, which is 100x less than the 1m lines Twitter used. The instance is built on a new platform called Rama, developed by Red Planet Labs, which unifies computation and storage into a coherent model capable of building end-to-end backends at any scale in 100x less code. The author provides a detailed breakdown of their Mastodon instance and its features, and discusses the structure and functionality of Mastodon and how it uses Rama to manage its features. The article also discusses the optimization of home timelines, a feature similar to Twitter's chronological timelines, and how Rama's facilities for collocation of states are used to handle this use case. The author concludes by discussing personalized follow suggestions, another part of Mastodon, which works differently than timelines. 4. Ask versus guess culture from jeansu.substack.com. The article Ask versus guess culture by Jean Shu explores the concepts of ask culture and guess culture first introduced online in 2007. Ask culture encourages direct requests, even if they may be refused, while guest culture promotes asking only when sure of a positive response, using indirect cues to gauge the appropriateness of a request. She uses a moving scenario to illustrate these cultures and notes that while Western society leans towards ask culture, many Asians and Asian Americans, including herself, are raised in guest culture. She discusses the clash of these cultures in the workplace, suggesting that those from a guest culture background may need to adopt ask culture traits to succeed. Comments on the article support and expand on Shu's points, with one user relating the concept to Aaron Meyer's high-context versus low-context cultural comparison. 5. Writing about what you learn pushes you to understand topics better from adiosmani.com. Penned by Google software engineer Adiosmani, 
This blog post delves into the benefits of writing about what you learn, the Feynman technique for deep understanding, and the importance of consistency in writing. Osmani posits that writing about what you learn is more than a method of documentation, it's a tool for deepening understanding and revealing knowledge gaps. He breaks down the learning process through writing into four stages, exploration, articulation, reflection, and revelation of gaps. Each stage contributes to a more robust and interconnected understanding of the subject matter. He also highlights the benefits of this practice, including enhanced retention of information, improved communication skills, and personal growth. The Feynman technique, named after physicist Richard Feynman, is presented as a complementary method. It involves choosing a concept, explaining it in simple terms, identifying gaps in understanding, simplifying the explanation, and continuously refining it. Osmani further emphasizes the importance of consistency in writing for success. He discusses the role of habit formation, progressive improvement, maintaining momentum, and aligning daily actions with long-term goals. He also provides strategies to overcome challenges like procrastination and burnout, and to maintain consistency, such as setting realistic goals, creating a routine, seeking accountability, and celebrating progress. In conclusion, Osmani asserts that writing about what you learn, using techniques like the Feynman technique, and maintaining consistency are interconnected practices that foster deeper understanding, skill development, and long-term success. This article underscores the importance of active engagement in learning and the role of writing in fostering a deeper understanding. It provides valuable insights for anyone seeking to enhance their learning process, improve their writing skills, and achieve long-term success in their endeavors. 6. Squeeze the hell out of the system you have from blog.danslemon.com. The article Squeeze the Hell Out of the System You Have by Dan Sliman discusses the importance of maximizing the efficiency of existing systems before considering more complex solutions. Sliman uses the example of a struggling Postgres database, where the typical solution would be to replace it with a bigger instance. However, he warns that such solutions increase complexity and can delay or prevent future feature delivery. Instead, he advocates for optimizing the current system which in the case of the Postgres instance, reduced the maximum weekly CPU usage from 90% to 30%. A user named Yoron praises the blog post and emphasizes the importance of code optimization over vertical scaling. Slimmon's blog covers a variety of topics and features top posts on subjects like automation, latency-slash-throughput trade-off, and technical debt. The blog, powered by WordPress.com, has archives dating back to July 2012. 7. How a Startup Loses Its Spark from blog.jonkian.com Penned by software engineer John Chien, this blog post delves into the transformation that startups undergo as they scale, particularly focusing on the diminishing spark or fun that engineers often experience in the early stages of a startup. Chien begins by outlining the core loop of an engineer's work in a startup, which includes talking to users, coming up with ideas, discussing these ideas, implementing them, and then shipping the product. He emphasizes that in a startup with fewer than 10 people, each of these steps can be fun and exhilarating. However, as the company scales beyond 100 people, the fun is stripped away from these steps. The author attributes this to three main factors, decreased skin in the game, which reduces team alignment, increased communication, which necessitates managers and specialization, thereby reducing individual agency and breadth of learning, and reduced risk tolerance, which slows everything down. He believes these issues are inevitable as a company grows in size and user base. However, Chen suggests that startups can slow down this death of fun by not accelerating their corporatization, not copying the processes of larger companies, and solving scaling pains from first principles. He also suggests structuring the company like a bunch of independent startups and designing clever incentives. He strongly advocates for hiring less and believes that as tools, especially AI, get better, a small team can support a larger number of users. In conclusion, Chen addresses some comments and criticisms from his readers, defending his thesis and providing further clarification on his points. In essence, this blog post is a thoughtful exploration of the challenges faced by startups as they scale, and offers some potential solutions to maintain the initial excitement and creativity that characterizes early-stage startups. It serves as a reminder that growth, while necessary, often comes with its own set of challenges that need to be carefully managed. 8. The Carrot Problem from ATV.com Penned by Yuri, the article titled Carrot Problems on Atoms vs. Bits, delves into the concept of misleading narratives that are often propagated to cover up the real reasons behind success or achievements. The term carrot problem is coined by the author, inspired by a World War II propaganda campaign where the British claimed their pilots had developed exceptional night vision due to eating an excess of carrots, 
a ruse to cover up the invention of a new onboard radar technology. Yuri argues that carrot problems are pervasive, especially when individuals or entities achieve success in ways they don't want to publicly admit. Examples include athletes taking steroids but attributing their enhanced physiques to other factors, companies distributing jobs to friends and insiders while maintaining a facade of public application processes, and businesses implementing dark patterns to boost revenue while attributing their success to other strategies. The author asserts that the scale of carrot problems in business is hard to gauge, as most public statements and business biographies are potentially riddled with such misleading narratives. This, Yuri suggests, increases the value of being an insider, someone privy to the real reasons behind success. The author also highlights the damage these narratives can cause to outsiders who believe in them, wasting time and effort on strategies that don't actually work. In conclusion, Yuri emphasizes the importance of recognizing these carrot problems, not to replicate the unethical practices, but to avoid wasting time on strategies that are not genuinely effective. The privilege of being an insider, Yuri notes, is the knowledge that prevents one from futilely eating carrots all day in the hopeless hope that it will fix her eyesight. This article underscores the importance of critical thinking and skepticism in interpreting success narratives. It serves as a reminder that not all that glitters is gold, and that the path to success is often more complex and nuanced than public narratives suggest. 9. Retrieving one terabyte of data from a faulty drive with the help of woodworking tools from blog.jgc.org. The article, written by John Graham Cumming, details his experience of retrieving one terabyte of data from a faulty Seagate Fire CUDA 530 SSD in his gaming PC. After the PC froze and wouldn't boot, the author discovered a faulty SSD. He suspected the failure was temperature-related and confirmed this by freezing the SSD and then viewing it on his Mac. He then used a metal G-clamp and strips of a credit card to support the SSD while copying data. To prevent overheating, he used heat sinks and monitored the temperatures with a thermal camera. He successfully copied the data and resolved the issue using an SMD hot air blower on the chip. The article is part of a blog that includes comments from various users and is tagged under various labels including hardware, security, and privacy. The blog also features popular posts on various topics such as password security and an implementation of Pong using an Arduino Pro. The blog has been consistently updated from 2010 to 2023. The blog, hosted on Blogger, has archives from 2005 to 2010, with the highest number of posts in June 2010. 10. Mr. Rogers had a point, routinely greeting six neighbors maximizes well-being from news.gallup.com. The article saying hello linked to higher well-being but with limits published by Gallup Incorporated suggests that U.S. adults who regularly greet their neighbors have a higher sense of well-being. The study, conducted from May 30 to June 6, 2023, surveyed 4,556 U.S. adults and found that well-being scores increased with the number of neighbors greeted, peaking at six neighbors. The study also found that greeting neighbors is more common among older, higher-income adults. The article also provides links to various sections of the Gallup website, including their consulting expertise, services and solutions, workplace solutions, public sector solutions, Clifton Strengths solutions, and education solutions. The website also offers resources for research purposes and has a presence on various social media platforms. The website is committed to user privacy and security, as indicated by the recapture protection and the links to their privacy statement and legal information. 11. How should I read type system notation? From langdev.stackexchange.com The article How Should I Read Type System Notation? On the Programming Language Design and Implementation Stack Exchange is a Q&A discussion initiated by Alexis King. She seeks to understand the complex notation used in type systems. An anonymous user provides a detailed explanation, stating that the notation varies but attempts to provide a basic understanding. The user explains that type systems are syntactic systems and discusses concepts like relations, judgments, axioms, and inference rules. The article also covers the role of variables, contexts, and environments in typing judgments. The notation's origin in formal logic and its use in constructing formal proofs about the system's properties are also discussed. The article further delves into various aspects of type systems notation, including inference rule layout, side conditions, subtyping, multiple contexts, and bidirectional type checking. The text also includes a list of questions from various Stack Exchange forums on a wide range of topics and links to various Stack Exchange network resources. Part 2, Show HN. 1. Starlight 12.5-inch Linux tablet from us.starlabs.systems. The text is from the Starlabs website, specifically the product page for the Starlight 12.5-inch laptop. 
the laptop is described as compact, powerful, and silent due to its fanless design. It supports Coreboot open-source firmware, which users can configure to their preferences. The laptop is equipped with an Intel Alder Lake processor, 16GB memory, and a quad-core processing speed of up to 3.7GHz. It also offers versatile connectivity options and a backlit keyboard with media keys. The laptop's display offers a 3K resolution with touch controls. It comes with a one-year limited warranty and supports multiple Linux distributions. The laptop is priced at $713, but is currently available for $498. The page also lists countries and regions where the laptop can be shipped or purchased, along with the accepted currency for transactions. The company, Star Labs, has a strong social media presence and accepts a wide range of payment methods, including cryptocurrencies. 2. Little Rat, Chrome Extension Monitors Network Calls of All Extensions from GitHub.com The GitHub project Little Rat is a Chrome extension developed by user Dnikov that monitors and optionally blocks other extensions' network calls. The project has received 1.2k stars and 44 forks, and is licensed under the MIT license. The extension can be installed from the Chrome Web Store in a light version or manually installed for the full version. The extension uses icons from featherykins.com and is written in JavaScript, CSS, HTML, and Shell. The project has four contributors including the developer, Daniel Nakov. 3. OpenDream, a layer-based UI for stable diffusion from github.com. The article discusses the GitHub repository OpenDream, a user-friendly and portable diffusion web UI created by Varunchnoi. The repository, which has been starred 1.5k times and forked 64 times, contains several files and directories, with the latest commit made on August 18, 2023. The repository also allows users to interact with the code in various ways, including cloning and downloading. The readme file provides detailed information on the project's usage and features. OpenDream was developed as part of Stanford's CS348K course and is licensed under the MIT license. It introduces features such as layering, non-destructive editing, portability, and easy-to-write extensions to the stable diffusion workflows. The tool allows users to save their workflows into a portable file format and supports easy-to-write and easy-to-install extensions. Users can load extensions in two ways, install a pre-written one through the web UI or manually download a valid extension file and add it to the OpenDream extensions folder. The article provides links to several currently supported extensions. 4. Uba Cloud, Open, free and portable cloud from github.com. The article is a detailed overview of the UbaCloud project, an open, free, and portable cloud service, hosted on GitHub. The project offers a range of features such as actions, packages, security, code spaces, copilot, code review, issues, and discussions. It also provides resources like documentation, GitHub skills, and a blog. The project is in the public domain, with 946 stars and 22 forks. The latest commit to the project, made by a user named Bisoy, is aimed at improving the accuracy of monthly price calculations. The project has seen several updates and commits, spanning from April to August 2023, including changes to the database, updates to the login page logo, and improvements to price calculations. The article also discusses challenges related to data staleness and billing records in a cloud-based system and the solutions implemented to address them. 5. Lottie Lab Create product animations in the browser easily from LottieLab.com. LottieLab is a motion design tool aimed at product teams, offering a simple platform to create and edit Lottie animations. These animations can be easily integrated into apps and websites, enhancing user experience with dynamic visuals. The tool allows users to import assets from their preferred design tools or start from scratch within the LottieLab platform. It's designed to be easy to learn, with a host of powerful features that make animation swift and straightforward. The platform also facilitates the sharing, reviewing, and shipping of animations to iOS, Android, and web, ensuring seamless integration across platforms. It's touted as a motion superpower for teams, enabling faster collaboration and keeping everyone on the same page. Lottie Lab also supports interactive Lottie animations, adding an extra layer of engagement for users. The tool is browser-based, eliminating the need for downloads and making it accessible on any operating system. LottieLab positions itself as the new standard for motion design, offering a format for lightweight, high-quality, dynamic animations. In essence, LottieLab is a comprehensive tool for creating, editing, and implementing Lottie animations, making it a valuable resource for product teams looking to enhance their digital offerings with engaging, interactive visuals.
The significance of Lottilab lies in its potential to streamline the animation process for product teams, fostering collaboration and enhancing user experience with dynamic, interactive visuals. It's a testament to the growing importance of animation in digital product design, offering a simple, accessible solution for teams of all sizes. Part 3. Code. 1. Things you forgot, or never knew, because of React from joshkolinsworth.com. The article, Things You Forgot, or Never Knew, Because of React, by Josh Kalinsworth, discusses the evolution of front-end development and how it has moved away from React, a popular JavaScript library for building user interfaces. Kalinsworth argues that developers may be limiting themselves by sticking to popular defaults like React and missing out on advancements in other front-end technologies. He criticizes React for its incompatibility with the platform, its lack of support for web components, and its accumulated tech debt. The article also discusses alternatives to React, such as Svelte, Vue, Solid, Astro, and Preact, which are now well-supported and well-maintained. The author suggests that these alternatives offer unique features and benefits and should be considered based on specific needs and project requirements. 2. I wrote a RDBMS, SQLite clone, from scratch in pure Python from github.com. The LearnPy GitHub repository by UserSpandenb is a project aimed at understanding database internals by creating a relational database management system, RDBMS, from scratch, similar to SQLite. Written in Python, it includes a simple code base and a relatively complete RDBMS implementation, supporting a rich SQL with various operations. However, it has some limitations, such as a simplified implementation of floating-point number arithmetic. The repository provides resources for users to understand the system, and instructions for developers interested in contributing. It also provides commands for running different types of tests. The project was started by following a tutorial by Stack and later referenced SQLite and PostgreSQL documentation. The repository has received 740 stars, has 8 watchers, and has been forked 23 times, but no releases or packages have been published for this project. 3. Thoughts on Elixir Phoenix and Live View after 18 months of commercial use from Corbin.net. The author, a team leader who has been developing an application using Elixir, Phoenix, and Live View for the past 18 months, shares his thoughts on these tools. He finds Elixir enjoyable, praising its functional programming, FP, features, concurrency model, and stability. However, he also points out some areas of the language that he finds clunky or unnecessary. Regarding Phoenix, the author's experience is mostly through the lens of live view, and he finds it to be a reasonable MVC framework. He appreciates the addition of compile-time-checked verified routes but is unsure about the purpose and value of contexts, finding it unclear where and how to draw the context boundaries in practice. Live, view, he says, simplifies the mental model by having a single code base for back-end and front-end. It also allows for UI interaction tests without relying on complex tools. However, he finds some aspects of live view less than ideal, such as the need to duplicate authentication logic and the challenges of storing client data. In conclusion, the author believes that while Elixir and Phoenix are solid tools, live view is an impressive addition that is on the cusp of becoming a mature option for more complex applications. This article offers a valuable insight into the practical use of Elixir, Phoenix, and live view, highlighting both their strengths and areas for improvement. It underscores the importance of user experience in software development and the need for tools to evolve to meet the changing needs of developers. 4. Railway-Oriented Programming from sharpforfunanprofit.com The article, Railway-Oriented Programming on F-Hash for Fun and Profit, is a comprehensive guide to a functional approach to error handling. The author, Scott Wallachian, uses a railway analogy to explain the concept, which he believes is more intuitive and less intimidating for those unfamiliar with monads. The article begins with a brief introduction to the concept of railway-oriented programming, ROP. Wallachian explains that many examples in functional programming assume that you are always on the happy path. However, to create a robust real-world application, you must deal with validation, logging, network and service errors, and other annoyances. He presents ROP as a clean, functional way to handle these issues. Wallachian then provides links to slides and code from his talk on ROP as well as a link to a GitHub project that compares normal C-sharp with F-hash using the ROP approach. He warns that while ROP is a useful approach to error handling, it should not be taken to extremes. The author goes on to explain the relationship of ROP to the either Monad and Clisley composition. He clarifies that this post is not trying to be a Monad tutorial, but is instead focused on solving the specific problem of error handling. He also emphasizes that he wanted to present a recipe, not a tool, 
hence the comprehensive approach that includes a series of techniques. Towards the end, Woloshin provides resources for those who want to use ROP in their own code, including a link to the Chessy project, a ready-made f-hash library that works with NuGet, and a sample web service using these techniques. He also provides a list of further reading for those interested in more detail on either and Clisy composition. In essence, this article is a deep dive into railway-oriented programming, a functional approach to error handling. It provides a comprehensive guide, complete with resources and further reading, making it a valuable resource for anyone interested in this approach. The significance of this article lies in its potential to change the way developers handle errors in their code. By adopting the railway-oriented programming approach, developers can create more robust and reliable applications, ultimately leading to a better user experience. 5. Turmoil, a framework for developing and testing distributed systems from Tokyo.rs. Penned by Brett McChesney, this post announces the initial release of Turmoil, a framework designed to simplify the development and testing of distributed systems. The inherent non-determinism in distributed systems, due to factors like network, time, and threads, makes testing a challenging task. This often results in lengthy development cycles and difficulty in ensuring system correctness. Turmoil aims to address these issues by simulating hosts, time, and the network, allowing a distributed system to run within a single process on a single thread. This approach achieves deterministic execution. The framework also offers fine-grained control over the network, supporting the dropping, holding, and delaying of messages between hosts. To use Turmoil, developers need to add the crate to their cargo.toml file. The framework provides simulated networking types that mirror Tokyo.net. Developers can then write their software using networking types from this local module. Each host, including the test code, runs on its own runtime, managed by the simulation. The post concludes by acknowledging that Turmoil is still experimental and invites users to provide feedback and report issues. In essence, Turmoil represents a significant step towards making the testing and development of distributed systems more manageable and efficient. Its deterministic approach could potentially streamline development cycles and enhance the reliability of these systems. 6. Python, just write SQL from joelf.com. Penned by Joao Ferreira, the article titled Python, just write SQL is a compelling argument for Python developers to consider writing raw SQL instead of relying on ORMs or query builders. Ferreira, a seasoned developer, shares his insights from his recent experience with Go, a language that favors a non-ORM non-query builder approach to database interaction. Ferreira begins by acknowledging the popularity of ORMs like Sklalkami and Django ORM among Python developers. However, he argues for a different approach, one that mirrors Go's preference for writing raw SQL. His proposed approach involves writing SQL directly, avoiding query builders or ORMs, packaging the code in an abstraction that allows for easy switching between database solutions, and maintaining a clear separation between databases and business logic. To illustrate his point, Ferreira provides a step-by-step guide to implementing his approach using a typical example of a user class, which represents a SQL table named user. He then demonstrates how to create a repository for the user class, and how to implement it using PostgreSQL via Psychub3. He also shows how to use Psychub3's custom row factories to return rows as user objects, a feature he finds particularly useful. Ferreira concludes by emphasizing the enduring relevance of SQL in the ever-changing tech landscape. He believes that writing raw SQL can lead to structured code, and encourages Python developers to reconsider their approach to SQL in their next projects. In essence, this article underscores the value of SQL as a timeless tool in the tech world and challenges Python developers to embrace it more directly in their coding practices. It suggests that this approach could lead to more structured code and a closer relationship with the database, which could be beneficial in the long run. 7. Astro all-in-one web framework designed for speed from astro.build. Astro is an all-in-one web framework designed for speed, allowing developers to pull content from anywhere and deploy everywhere. It optimizes websites in a unique way through its Zero.js front-end architecture, which can lead to higher conversion rates and better SEO. A comparison with other frameworks like Gatsby, Next.js, WordPress, and Nux shows Astro scoring significantly higher in real-world performance data. Astro is designed to be content-focused, allowing data fetching from any CMS or working locally with type-safe Markdown and MDX APIs. It supports various types of websites, including blogs, marketing sites, agency sites, e-commerce sites, and portfolios. Astro also offers easy scalability and compatibility with existing UI components. The framework is free and open source, with a community of over 10,000 developers.
It offers a variety of themes and integrations to enhance projects, and its documentation is maintained by a group of dedicated contributors. Astro's significance lies in its ability to deliver high-performance websites with a focus on content. Its unique Zero.js front-end architecture offers a new approach to web development, potentially leading to better user experiences and improved SEO rankings. 8. Algebraic Data Types in Lua, Almost, from mrcjkb.dev The author, a professional Haskell programmer and maintainer of several NeoVim plugins, shares his experiences and insights on leveraging Lua Language Server and its support for type annotations to enhance the robustness and expressiveness of Lua code. The author uses the concept of algebraic data types, ADTs, common in functional languages like Haskell, FHash, or OCAML, as a basis for his exploration. He provides examples of defining data types with a table, dynamic type annotations, and the creation of aliases to streamline combined type references. The author also acknowledges the limitations of Lua compared to languages with nominal type systems like Haskell and Rust, but suggests that it's feasible to simulate basic pattern matching in Lua. He also warns that while the type annotation capabilities of Lua language server and NeoVim's type annotations are continually evolving and improving, they're not flawless and can still lead to misalignments. The author concludes by recommending the use of Lua language server for static type checking of plugins, and provides two utilities that integrate with GitHub Actions for this purpose. One is for Nix enthusiasts and the other for a broader audience. He also suggests adding the plugin Neodiv.nvim as a dependency for Lua LS type checking. In essence, the author advocates for the use of tools like Lua Language Server to enhance the Lua experience, approximating the rigor and reliability of languages with richer type systems like Haskell and Rust. This article is significant as it provides practical insights and tools for enhancing the robustness and expressiveness of Lua code, which can be particularly useful for those working with NeoVim plugins or similar projects. It also highlights the ongoing evolution and potential of Lua's type annotation capabilities. Part 4. Data. 1. OpenFarm, a free and open database and web application for gardening knowledge from OpenFarm.cc. Open. Farm is a community-driven platform that aims to educate individuals on farming and gardening. The website provides a plethora of guides created by the community, covering a wide range of crops and gardening practices. The guides are tailored to specific environmental conditions and growing practices, ensuring compatibility with individual gardens and farming spaces. The process is simple. Choose a crop, find a guide, and start growing. The guides cover all stages of a crop's life, providing comprehensive care instructions. The website also features a section for community favorites, showcasing popular crops like tomatoes, lettuce, and strawberries. Open Farm encourages community participation, inviting users to become members, contribute to the guides, and engage in knowledge sharing. The platform also provides a space for users to ask questions and interact with each other, fostering a sense of community among gardeners and farmers. Open Farm's approach to democratizing farming and gardening knowledge is significant. It empowers individuals to grow their own food, promotes sustainable practices, and fosters a sense of community among like-minded individuals. 2. Uses and Abuses of Cloud Data Warehouses from Materialize.com The article The Uses and Abuses of Cloud Data Warehouses by Arjun Narayan and Andy Adamare, published on the Materialize blog, discusses the growing use of cloud data warehouses, CDWs, in business operations. The authors argue that while CDWs may seem beneficial for operational work, they often lead to inefficiencies as workloads expand due to differing requirements between operational and analytical systems. They elaborate on the technical requirements for both types of workloads and highlight the conflicts between them. Despite these differences, data teams continue to use warehouses for operational work due to several motivating factors. However, the authors believe that serving operational workloads from a data warehouse is not sustainable in the long run. The Materialize website offers various resources related to data management, including a 14-day free trial of their product, customer stories, guides on data-related topics, and a community for users to connect with the company's engineers. Part 5. Design. 1. CSS Selectors, a visual guide from Fuel.co. The article CSS Selectors, a visual guide and reference on Fuel.co provides an in-depth guide to CSS selectors, including pseudo-classes and pseudo-elements. It explains how CSS selectors are used to select and style HTML elements on a web page, and provides a detailed list of various CSS selectors, each explained with a brief description and a code example. The guide also covers pseudo-classes and pseudo-elements, such as, link, visited, hover, active, focus, checked, disabled, enabled, 
valid, invalid, required, optional, first child, last child, nth child, and more. The article also discusses the use of the colon before and colon after pseudo-elements to insert content before and after the content of an element, respectively. The website also offers a variety of SVG generators and other resources, and is created by an individual named Seb. 2. Why font size must never be in pixels from fedmentor.dev. Penned by Grace Snow, this article on FedMentor is a comprehensive guide on why font-related CSS properties should never be declared in pixels. Snow argues that using pixels can render a site inaccessible for users who adjust their base text size, often to make it larger. This is because pixel-defined properties do not respect the user's font size preferences, potentially leading to text that is too small to read comfortably or even overlapping letters and lines. Snow identifies three properties that should never be declared in pixels, font size, line height, and letter spacing. Instead, she recommends using more appropriate units. For font size, she suggests using rem, which scales beautifully for all users, no matter what changes they make in their settings. For line height, a unitless value or percentage is preferred, while for letter spacing, um is recommended as it scales with the text where it is used. The article also provides a practical guide on how to change font settings in browsers like Firefox and Chrome, and how to convert pixel values to rem. Snow warns against using viewport units for font size as it takes away control from people accessing the site, and their preferences will no longer be honored. In essence, this article is a call to action for developers to prioritize accessibility and user preferences when designing websites. It underscores the importance of choosing responsive units and testing solutions across various browsers, operating systems, and devices. This article is significant as it highlights a common oversight in web development that can drastically affect user experience. By adhering to Snow's advice, developers can ensure their sites are accessible to a wider audience, regardless of their individual text size preferences. 3. British Libraries Public Domain Images from Flickr.com The British Library's Flickr page is a treasure trove of over a million photos, all meticulously organized into albums for easy browsing. The page, which has been active since 2007, has amassed a following of 58,000 people. The albums are a diverse collection, showcasing the breadth and depth of the British Library's holdings. The page also offers various features such as the ability to view collections, follow the library, and save favorite photos. The British Library's presence on Flickr is a testament to the power of digital platforms in making cultural and historical resources accessible to a global audience. In essence, this page is a digital gateway to the vast visual resources of the British Library, offering a unique opportunity for exploration and discovery. The significance of this lies in its democratization of access to these resources, allowing anyone with internet access to explore and appreciate these collections. 4. Adapting Illustrations on Dark Mode from blog.simonfarshid.com Simon Farshid, in his blog post, shares a quick method to adapt illustrations on a website to both light and dark modes. He suggests using the CSS filter effects, specifically the Invert 1 and Hue Rotate 180 degrees, functions, to achieve this. Farshid explains that the Invert 1 function operates in the RGB color space, inverting the colors by subtracting each color's value from the maximum possible value. 255. This results in the inversion of light and dark parts of an image, but also reverses colors, which is not desirable. To address this, Farshid suggests using the HSL color space, which represents color using hue, saturation, and lightness. He explains that the invert 1 function inverts both the lightness and hue of a color. However, the goal is to only invert the lightness. While CSS does not have an invert lightness function, Farshid proposes a workaround using the hue rotate 180 degrees function, which undoes the hue rotation caused by invert 1. Farshid concludes by noting that this method is not perfect and its effectiveness largely depends on the initial color palette of the design. He also advises excluding logos and photos from any modifications. This article provides a useful trick for web developers and designers aiming to make their websites more user-friendly by accommodating both light and dark modes. It also highlights the importance of understanding different color spaces and how they can be manipulated using CSS functions. Part 6. Books. 1. Is this a good book for me, now? From MaryRosacook.com. In her blog post, Is this a good book for me, now? Mary Rose Cook challenges the notion of a book's objective value, arguing instead that a book's value is highly dependent on the reader and their context. She illustrates this with personal anecdotes, such as how Carol Dweck's mindset was life-changing for her in 2016 due to her personal growth and experiences at the Recurse Center, 
and how Richard Hamming's you and your research had a different impact on her when she read it 10 years apart. Cook suggests that the value of a book is influenced by factors such as the reader's personal interests, what is new to them, what they are ready for, and what they are currently doing. She also provides tips for making a book as valuable as possible, such as skipping sections that aren't relevant and dropping books that aren't good for the reader at that time. Cook's perspective offers a fresh take on reading and book selection, emphasizing the importance of personal context and readiness over universally acclaimed works. This could have implications for how we approach reading and learning, suggesting that timing and personal relevance are key to extracting value from a book. 2. Peter Pan Copyright from Gosh.org The main point of this webpage is to explain the unique copyright situation surrounding J.M. Barry's Peter Pan and its relationship with the Great Ormond Street Hospital. The page is hosted by the Great Ormond Street Hospital Charity, and it serves to clarify the legalities and implications of the copyright gifted to them by Barry in 1929. The page begins by stating that J.M. Barry, the author of Peter Pan, gifted the rights to his work to the Great Ormond Street Hospital in 1929. This gift has since been a significant source of income for the hospital, supporting its work and helping seriously ill children. The copyright first expired in the UK and Europe in 1987, 50 years after Barry's death. However, an amendment to the Copyright Designs and Patents Act, CDPA, of 1988, proposed by former Prime Minister Lord Callaghan, granted the hospital the unique right to royalties from Peter Pan in perpetuity. In 1996, the copyright term was extended to 70 years after the author's death throughout the European Union, reviving Peter Pan's copyright until December 31, 2007. After this date, the work entered the public domain in Europe. However, in the UK, the CDPA prevails, allowing the hospital to continue benefiting from Barry's gift indefinitely. In the US, the novel Peter Pan is in the public domain, but the play and stage adaptations remain in copyright until December 2023. This is due to the novel being published in 1911, but the play only being published in 1928. The copyright was extended by the new term of first date of publication plus 95 years, as set by the Sonny Bono Copyright Extension Act of 1998 for works published between 1923 and 1977. The page concludes by explaining that a royalty means a percentage of the ticket price or book price payable to Great Ormond Street Hospital Children's Charity for performances, published books, or films based on Peter Pan wherever applicable. In essence, this page is a testament to the enduring legacy of J.M. Barry's gift to the Great Ormond Street Hospital. It underscores the unique and complex nature of copyright laws, and how they can be used to support charitable causes. The page also serves as a reminder of the enduring popularity of Peter Pan, and how its story continues to provide financial support for the hospital's work. 3. New Book Considers the Impact of Electronic Logging Devices on Drivers from TruckersNews.com the article discusses a new book by Karen Levy, a Cornell University associate professor, titled Data-Driven, Truckers, Technology, and the New Workplace Surveillance. The book explores the impact of electronic logging devices, ELDs, on truck drivers, a contentious issue in the American trucking industry. Levy argues that ELDs have not improved safety or reduced fatigue as intended, but instead have led to an invasion of privacy and a lack of respect for drivers' experience. She also suggests that the ELD mandate is more of a policing strategy than a safety measure, and that it fails to address key industry issues such as detention time and low pay. Despite these criticisms, Levy does not foresee any significant changes to the use of ELDs in the near future. 4. Wright's Book of Poultry from Archive.org The Internet Archive, a non-profit digital library, features a page dedicated to Wright's Book of Poultry, revised and edited in accordance with the latest poultry club standards by Lewis Wright. The book, published between 1838 to 1905, is available for free download, borrowing, and streaming. The page also provides sharing options on various social media platforms and includes links to other categories of the Internet Archives collection. The book, part of the Americana Collection, was published in 1911 by Castle in London and New York and was contributed by NCSU Libraries. It has been viewed 2009 times and favorited 12 times. The book has been digitized and is available for download in various formats. The page also includes a search function and links to the Internet Archive's other pages and services. Part 7. Working. 1. 80% of bosses say they regret earlier return to office plans from CNBC.com. In an article penned by Morgan Smith for CNBC, it is revealed that 80% of bosses regret their initial plans for returning to the office post-pandemic. This regret stems from a lack of understanding of employees' office attendance, usage of office amenities, and other related factors. 
This data comes from new research conducted by Envoy, a company that interviewed over 1,000 U.S. company executives and workplace managers who work in person at least one day per week. The research found that many companies felt they could have been more measured in their approach, rather than making bold, controversial decisions based on executive opinions rather than employee data. Some leaders expressed difficulty in measuring the success of in-office policies, while others found it hard to make long-term real estate investments without knowing how employees might feel about being in the office in the future. The article also highlights the shift in work arrangements, with 59% of full-time employees back to being 100% on-site, 29% in a hybrid arrangement, and 12% completely remote. However, offices are still only half full compared to their pre-pandemic occupancy. Major corporations, including Disney, Starbucks, and BlackRock, are requiring employees to spend more time at the office, often citing the need for more in-person collaboration. The article concludes by suggesting that the companies seeing the most success with returning to the office are those that are making decisions with their employees, rather than for them. An example is given of Ernst & Young, who, after receiving criticism for their initial return to office announcement, used the time to ask employees about their reluctance to come into the office and responded by reimbursing up to $800 per year for commuting, pet care, and dependent care costs for each of its 55,000-plus U.S. employees. In essence, this article underscores the importance of companies listening to their employees and making informed, data-driven decisions when it comes to return to office plans. The regret expressed by 80% of bosses serves as a stark reminder of the consequences of not doing so. The shift towards more flexible work arrangements, such as hybrid models, is likely to continue as companies strive to strike a balance between business needs and employee preferences. 2. How to communicate when trust is low without digging yourself into a deeper hole from charity.wtf. The article How to Communicate When Trust is Low, Without Digging Yourself Into a Deeper Hole, on charity.wtf, authored by Mipsy Tipsy, provides advice on effective communication in situations where trust is low. The author emphasizes the importance of clear, non-accusatory communication and suggests over-communicating and overcompensating to ensure clarity. Several tactics are provided, such as acknowledging the difficulty of the conversation, speaking tentatively, and communicating positive intent. The author also discusses the challenges of online communication and encourages readers to resist reading too much into text-based communication. The comments section reveals the author's active engagement with readers and willingness to take their feedback into account. 3. Job Corps, free, residential training and education for low-income young adults from jobcorps.gov. The link in question leads to a website that is currently inaccessible due to a 403 error. This error message indicates that the Amazon CloudFront distribution, which the website uses for its content delivery network, is blocking access from the user's country. The reasons for this could range from excessive traffic to a configuration error. The website in question appears to be related to Job Corps, but due to the error, no further information about its content or purpose can be gleaned at this time. In terms of significance, this highlights the potential limitations of geographically based access restrictions and the impact they can have on information accessibility. It also underscores the importance of robust and flexible website configuration to ensure global reach. 4. Throwing away 10 months of work after 2 months on the job from dankowell.com. In a bold move, Dan Cowell, a software team leader, decided to scrap a nearly completed e-commerce website project that had been in development for 10 months, just 2 months after taking charge. The project, initially intended to be a 3-month endeavor, was built on AngularJS, a framework that didn't support server-side rendering, SSR, which was crucial for the website's speed and performance. Despite the team's efforts to incorporate SSR into the AngularJS project, they faced numerous setbacks, including bloated project size, slow development environment, and a lack of documentation for the experimental SSR feature they were trying to implement. The team was caught in the sunk cost fallacy, continuing to invest time and resources into a failing project because of the fear of losing what they had already invested. Cowell, after a sleepless night, decided to start over using React and Redux, which he knew had robust SSR support. This decision was not taken lightly, as it meant discarding almost a year's worth of work and convincing both the founders and the team that this was the right move. He promised the founders that if the Angular SSR project shipped, they would release the Angular website, and if the React site was not functional and performant in six weeks, he would step down. To convince the team, Cowell demonstrated the productivity they could achieve with React, showing them how quickly they could see changes in real time. The team was impressed, and they began working on the new site, delivering it after seven weeks of focused effort. The new site was faster, 
used fewer resources, and the code they wrote is still in production several years later. Cowell's decision to scrap the nearly completed project and start over was a calculated risk that paid off. He broke two cardinal rules of software project management, not to build production applications with experimental tech and not to do big bang rewrites. However, he did so with the understanding that sometimes, established rules need to be broken to achieve the best outcome. In essence, this story underscores the importance of being adaptable in project management, recognizing when a project is not working, and having the courage to start over when necessary. It's a reminder that sometimes, the most challenging decisions can lead to the most successful outcomes. 5. Repo with a list of 80 decent companies hiring remotely in Europe from github.com. The GitHub page hosted by European Remote provides a comprehensive list of remote software companies hiring in Europe. The list includes details about each company's domain, tech stack, salary transparency, global salary, and a link to their profile on the European Remote website. The companies listed span various sectors such as infrastructure, ed tech, public relations, operating systems, search engine tools, e-commerce, design, project management, custom software development, online payments, AI tools, marketing, time tracking, and no code. The page also offers job alerts in various categories and is available in multiple languages. The text also includes a footer with links to various sections of the website. Part 8. Learn. 1. Tokipona, an attempted universal language with only 120 words from cohost.org. The article, authored by Andy, at MCC, on cohost.org, discusses the author's experience learning Tokipona, a constructed language designed to be as simple as possible. The language, which has only 123 words, has no conjugations or tenses, and almost every word can be used as any part of speech. The author explains that Tokipona words are broad, not ambiguous, and provides a brief guide to understanding the language's sentence structure. The author shares their personal experience learning Tokipona, noting that they were able to construct a full paragraph and make a joke in the language after watching a few instructional videos and reading a few chapters of a book. The article also discusses the potential of Tokipona as an international auxiliary language. The author also shares a conversation where they made a spelling error with the word Toki and includes reactions from various users about their experiences learning Tokipona. The text also includes a discussion on language learning and the usage of prepositions as verbs in different languages on a platform called Cohost. 2. Thermodynamic Linear Algebra from Archive.org Penned by a team of seven authors, including Maxwell Afer and Gavin E. Crooks, the paper titled Thermodynamic Linear Algebra explores a novel intersection between thermodynamics and linear algebra. The authors propose a new physics-based computing paradigm that leverages classical thermodynamics to accelerate linear algebraic operations, which form the backbone of many modern algorithms in engineering, science, and machine learning. The authors make a compelling case for the connection between solving linear algebra problems and sampling from the thermodynamic equilibrium distribution of a system of coupled harmonic oscillators. They present thermodynamic algorithms for solving linear systems of equations, computing matrix inverses and determinants, and solving Yapunov equations. These algorithms exploit thermodynamic principles like ergodicity, entropy, and equilibration, thereby highlighting the deep connection between these two seemingly distinct fields. The authors argue that their thermodynamic algorithms offer asymptotic speedups relative to digital methods, scaling linearly with matrix dimension. This is under the assumption of certain reasonable conditions. The paper thus opens up new algebraic applications for thermodynamic computing hardware. In essence, this paper signifies a promising step towards a near-term approach to accelerating linear algebra, especially given the current technological limitations of quantum computing. It underscores the potential of classical thermodynamics in revolutionizing computing paradigms, and hints at the exciting possibilities of unearthing more connections between disparate scientific fields. 3. Fred Fish from n.wikipedia.org The Wikipedia article discusses the life and work of Fred Fish, a renowned computer programmer known for his work on the GNU debugger and his Fish Disk series for the Amiga. The Fish Disks, distributed globally from 1986 to 1994, played a crucial role in the Amiga community, serving as an early form of a postal system. Fish also initiated the Geek Gadgets Project, a GNU standard environment for Amiga OS and BOS. He worked for Cygnus Solutions and B Incorporated, and authored the User Survival Guide for TI-5859 Master Library. Fish passed away in 2007. The footer of the page includes links to resources related to Fish's work, mentions other notable figures in the Amiga community, and lists categories the page falls under. It concludes with standard Wikipedia footer content. 4. 
Sargeblock, Bricks from Seaweed from Fortamorrow.org. Penned by Sid Lee, the article introduces us to Sargeblock, an innovative construction material derived from sargassum seaweed. This brown algae, which often washes up on Caribbean beaches, has been a costly nuisance for the tourism industry. However, Omar Vasquez, an entrepreneur from Mexico, saw an opportunity in this problem and transformed it into a sustainable solution. Vasquez initially collected sargassum seaweed to use as fertilizer for his business, Blue Green Nursery. He then expanded his operations, employing around 300 families to clean the beaches for local hotels and resorts. The turning point came when Vasquez realized that the seaweed could be converted into construction bricks. Inspired by his family's adobe house, he developed Sargeblock, an architectural brick made from sargassum seaweed. Vasquez modified a machine designed to make adobe bricks to process a mix of 40% sargassum and 60% other organic materials for the Sargeblock. The machine can produce 1,000 blocks a day, which, after four hours of sun baking, are ready for use. After building Casa Angelita, the first sargassum house, Sargeblock gained momentum in Quintana Roo, Mexico. Vasquez's vision extends beyond profit. He aims to use sargassum seaweed as a low-cost building material to construct affordable housing throughout the Riviera Maya. The article concludes by highlighting the interest Sargeblock has garnered from countries like Belize, Jamaica Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, Barbados, Malaysia, and the United States. These countries, all affected by seaweed washing up on their beaches, are reaching out to Vasquez for guidance. In essence, Sargeblock is not just a construction material. It's a testament to innovative thinking and sustainable solutions. It's a reminder that even in problems, there can be opportunities for positive change. This development could have significant implications for the construction industry, particularly in regions affected by sargassum seaweed, potentially transforming a nuisance into a resource for affordable, sustainable housing. 5. Is Venus in some way tightly locked to Earth? From astronomy.stackexchange.com The text is a series of responses from an astronomy stack exchange forum discussing the orbital and rotational periods of Venus and Earth. The initial question, posted by a user named Puzzled, asks if Venus is tightly locked to Earth, as Earth always sees the same face of Venus when the two planets are at their closest point. Several users respond with varying theories, including gravitational resonance, Venus's long days due to slow rotation on its axis, and the influence of the Sun's gravity. One user cites a 1969 paper suggesting that Venus's spin-orbit resonance cannot be explained by gravitational interaction with Earth alone, but might involve the Sun's tidal interaction and Venus's atmospheric tidal effects. Other users discuss Venus's retrograde sidereal period, synodic period relative to Earth, and solar day, as well as the concept of tidal locking. The text also includes related questions on the site and links to other parts of the Stack Exchange network. 6. Core War a very old game about programming from n.wikipedia.org. The article discusses Core War, a programming game created in 1984 where players write battle programs, or warriors, in an abstract assembly language called Redcode. The goal of the game is to terminate the processes of opposing programs, leaving the victorious program in control of the virtual machine. The article details various strategies used in the game, including scanners, bombers, and vampires, among others. It also discusses the programming aspect of the game, including the use of optimizers and genetic algorithms. The game was inspired by self-replicating programs and was introduced to the public in an article in Scientific American. The article also provides an overview of the Red Code language and its development over the years, as well as various implementations of the game. The text also includes a list of references and external links for further reading. Part 9, Startup News 1. Discord.io Breached 760k user accounts for sale on Darknet from StackDiary.com. Penned by Alex Ivanovs, this article on Stack Diary reports a significant data breach involving Discord.io, a platform that allows users to create custom, personal Discord invites. The data of approximately 760,000 users was listed for sale on a Darknet forum, a discovery brought to light by the Information Leaks Telegram channel, associated with a Russian service for tracking vulnerabilities and data leaks. The data for sale includes email addresses, hashed passwords, and other user-specific information. The hacker, known as Akira, claimed his motivation for the breach was Discord.io's enabling of illegal and harmful content, not financial gain. Discord.io has confirmed the breach, and Discord, the official app, has revoked the OAuth tokens for any user that has used Discord.io, requiring them to re-authenticate. The data breach was confirmed by cybersecurity experts who reviewed a sample of the data provided by the seller. 
the experts verified that the sample logins were genuine and matched real Discord users. This breach could potentially be exploited for phishing schemes, spamming, or other deceptive activities. The Discord.io team has provided a detailed account of the events leading to the breach, the data compromised, and the actions they've taken in response. They advise users to change their passwords and enable two-factor authentication to enhance security. In essence, this breach underscores the importance of robust data security measures and the potential risks associated with third-party platforms. It serves as a reminder for users to regularly update their passwords and enable additional security features like two-factor authentication. 2. Following pushback, Zoom says it won't use customer data to train AI models from darkreading.com. The article from Dark Reading, written by Jai Vijayan, discusses Zoom's recent decision to not use customer data to train its AI models following backlash from customers. The company had initially planned to use customer data for its AI features, Zoom IQ Meeting Summary and Zoom IQ Team Chat Compose, but revised its policy after customers expressed privacy concerns on social media. The updated terms of service now state that Zoom does not use any customer content to train its AI models. The article also discusses the challenges tech companies face in balancing innovation with privacy concerns when integrating AI into their products and services. The article concludes with a list of other cybersecurity-related resources from dark reading, including articles, webinars, reports, white papers, and events. 3. China's property giant Evergrande files for bankruptcy protection in Manhattan from CNBC.com. The articles on CNBC's website report that Evergrande, the world's most indebted property developer, has filed for Chapter 15 bankruptcy protection in the United States. This follows the company's default in 2021 and the announcement of an offshore debt restructuring program in March. The filing was made in the Manhattan Bankruptcy Court, with the company seeking recognition of restructuring talks in Hong Kong, the Cayman Islands, and the British Virgin Islands. The articles also mention that Evergrande's affiliate, Tianji Holdings, and its subsidiary, Scenery Journey, have also filed for Chapter 15 protection. The bankruptcy filing comes amid concerns about the potential impact of China's property sector troubles on other parts of the economy. Despite signals of increased support for the property sector from China's top leaders, investor worries persist. Evergrande has reported a combined loss of $81 billion over the past two years. 4. Sousa to go private from Sousa.com The article announces that Sousa, a global leader in enterprise open-source solutions, plans to go private by delisting from the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. This move is initiated by its majority shareholder, Marcel Lux 3 Sarl, controlled by fund entities of the EQT8 fund. EQT Private Equity intends to launch a voluntary public purchase offer to buy shares from other SUSE shareholders before the delisting. The company's management supports this move, seeing it as a strategic opportunity to focus on operational priorities and long-term strategy execution. SUSE offers a range of IT solutions and serves various industries. The company also provides support services, consulting services, training, and certification. The SUSE website offers a wealth of resources, including product documentation, a knowledge base, and a customer center. It also provides information about their partner program and community links. Part 10. Fun. 1. AI Town. Run your own custom AI world sim with JavaScript from github.com. The article is a detailed guide on the GitHub repository A16Z Infra/iTown, a deployable starter kit for building a virtual town where AI characters live and socialize. The repository has received 4.8k stars and has been forked 335 times. It provides a comprehensive overview of the project, including updates and commits made to various files, a description of the project stack, and detailed installation instructions. The guide also offers instructions on how to deploy the development environment to a production environment, customize one's own simulation, and acknowledges the use of Pixie.js for interactions, background music, and rendering. The repository is written primarily in TypeScript and has 16 contributors. 2. Not My Cows, Save Your Cows. Blast the Meteors. Giddy up from NoteMyCows.com. Not My Cows is a web-based game created by John Franco. The game's premise is simple yet engaging players must protect their livestock from an onslaught from outer space. The controls are straightforward, with movement controlled by the A and D keys, aiming with the right and left arrow keys, and shooting with either the up arrow or the spacebar. In essence, Not My Cows is a testament to the creativity and accessibility of web-based gaming. Its simple mechanics and engaging premise make it an enjoyable pastime, demonstrating the potential of independent game development in the digital age. 3. 
Combustion Engine Simulation Game That Generates Realistic Audio From GitHub.com The article discusses a GitHub project called Engine Simulator slash Engine Sim Community Edition, a combustion engine simulation game that generates realistic audio. The game allows users to build, run, test, and hear their engine creations. The project is publicly available and has received significant attention with 1.1k stars and 69 forks. The repository includes sections like code, issues, pull requests, actions, projects, security, and insights. The readme.md file provides a detailed introduction to the project, including a link to download the most recent release for Windows and installation instructions. The project is developed by Angie the Great, who also provides a link to their YouTube channel. The game uses a minimalistic UI driven by keybinds, and a comprehensive list of keys and their corresponding actions is provided. The text also provides links to tutorials for using the engine simulator and encourages users to report any bugs or feature requests. The project also has a Patreon page for sponsorship, with the handle ATG underscore engine underscore simulator. The text appears to be a list of contributors or users associated with the project, which is hosted on www.enginesim.parts. The text concludes with a long list of Patreon supporters, categorized as master mechanics, engineers, hot rodders, grease monkeys, and tuners. The text also appears to be the footer section of a web page from GitHub, including a link to a user profile named Perseus and several navigation links to various sections of GitHub's website. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to HackerCast.